You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. W.C. Fields once said he would like his epitaph to read, I'd rather be living in Philadelphia, which was his actual birthplace, Um, But actually, I would rather be living in Philadelphia at least this week where the Democratic National Convention is being held because it has been a fascinating experience, not only to be here, but in Cleveland last week. Brian, how does this compare to other conventions you've witnessed? This is much different. I mean, on one level, it's the same. There are the logistical issues. There's getting around a convention hall. There's all that stuff. The roll call, the funny outfits, the buttons, the pens. Which I always love. The From state the great pride. state of Delaware, where the ice cream bars are coldest, where the <laughs> orange juice is sweetest. But on another level, this is really a strange campaign because even though we're in Philadelphia for the Democrats, all anybody's talking about is Donald Trump. I built the business and I didn't start it with a million dollar check from my father. Safeguarding freedom and security is not like hosting a TV reality show. This guy doesn't have a clue about the middle class, not a clue. This is not like any campaign I've seen or I've ever read about in history. It's something we're going to be talking about with our guest, Frank Luntz, who's coming up in a minute. Frank is a Republican pollster. He's also a part-time comedian or a wannabe. We tease him and call him Shecky, but he's got a million jokes. In fact, we could hardly get him out of the studio without him telling us some Chris Christie jokes, which I will not repeat. And a Bill Clinton joke or two. He was fair and balanced, like uh, Fox News, where he works. And CBS, he's quick to point out. Yes, even his media contracts are, are balanced. But we should just tell you a little bit about him, because even though you may not have heard his name, I think you're going to be familiar with some of his work. He's really come up with the words that have really defined our politics over the last 20 years. So when we say climate change rather than global warming, when we say death tax rather than estate tax, energy exploration instead of oil drilling, he's really helped Republicans over the years try to position their policy a little bit differently to appeal to more voters. His critics believe that, you know, he's creating a misleading impression. He's He's steering the voters to believe something that isn't true. His supporters say this is what's happened in politics throughout history, and he's just a very effective strategist. We'll talk to him about being sort of the official GOP wordsmith, but also about the mood of the country because Frank travels everywhere. He's talked to so many people over the past several months, and I think he has his finger on the pulse perhaps better than almost anyone. So I can't wait to hear from him so he can share with us what people are sharing with him. Frank Luntz is in the house. I know. I'm in trouble. Dr. Frank Luntz. We should get the full title. That's right. You have a PhD, right? According to Bill Maher, he wasn't quite sure. Dr. Frank Luntz is over here. Doctor. Doctor. Great to see you, Doctor. 
I know. We just watched that. Boy, he was tough on you, Frank. Was that hard? It was awful. It was awful. And it was awful because I had come on to be candid. I had come on to have a real conversation, not take a partisan position. I was specifically told by the executive producer, don't tell jokes. That's not – let be serious, be uh, be open, be candid. And every time I tried to do it, it was another Trump joke and another Trump joke. Who knows what's going on? I saw all week it is now tied Trump and Hillary 40-40. Explain this to me. How an insane racist in orange grease paint <laughs> can be tied with the former first lady. Uh, and I kept waiting for the real conversation to happen. And it never did. Well, clearly he eviscerated you because you are associated with Republicans and Bill is clearly a liberal Democrat. So I think it wasn't necessarily a match made in heaven from the get-go, right? But it was. I, I said to his executive producer that he blew a good opportunity because there are times just as you have comedies that have a very serious show, there's humor in it, but they deal with a serious topic. I was ready to really open up and I'm not doing that again. I learned from this. Politics does not and media does not reward candor. It does not reward the truth. It rewards a well-articulated, well-explained facts and, and information. But if you are being reflective, you are punished for it and you are not celebrated for it. This That's, is kind of like your version of the Colonel Jessup, uh, you can't handle the truth. No, because that's entertainment. Yeah. You're it, actually trying to, to describe what you're seeing in the country because you do more focus groups than probably any other professional in America. I'm the closest thing to a mayor, but I'm a mayor for the country. A focus group of 18 women to Studio 57 yesterday. It included six Republicans, six Democrats, and six independents, and they did not find much common ground. Every night, I'm seeing 25 or 30 new people. Every night, I'm learning what bothers them. I'm learning their challenges and their hopes and dreams. And, and it's all positive or negative, but I'm hearing it in reality. So let's start with Donald Trump. I want a word or phrase for you all to describe Donald Trump. Patriot. Clown show. Hate monger. And so every night when I go to sleep, I take that with me. It doesn't leave me. And in fact, you don't seem like a happy camper right now. I'm because not. I guess the things you're hearing out there in the country are not happy. When I started this back in, I don't know, 1992, there was Ross Perot, who I worked with. Um, it, it, even the anger had its borders that you would disagree with somebody, but you would not take them out to the woodshed. Today, in our current political environment, there are no limits. You have the right to get into someone's face and scream at them. You have the right on national television to insult them. You have the right not to stop at the commercial break, but to continue to pontificate because you've got the right to be heard. This is one collective temper tantrum. And for me, and I never went through this, it is like mom and dad fighting with each other and I have to make the choice who I'm gonna live with for the next four years. I don't want to live with either of them. It's 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 rough. Can I ask you a question? We we've talked about this a lot. Why are people so angry? Because if you look at so many of the indicators, the economy's been growing for seven years. Unemployment's below five percent, cut in half since President Obama took office. Yeah, w wages are stagnant. stagnant. They're they're not rising like they used to. Uh, long-term unemployment's a, a larger challenge, but we faced far worse in the past. Why are people so uniquely angry now? Because the three people who are sitting at this table do not feel any economic suffering at all. And that if any of us lost our jobs or something went wrong, we'd be okay. For 15 or 20% of America, they are doing great. And the truth is, the wealthy shouldn't be angry with Barack Obama. They should embrace him because this has been the best time for them. The people who are suffering... And I say this, as someone who's right of center, the people who are suffering are the working class. They had 40-hour-a-week jobs 10 years ago. Today, it's 28 hours a week because their employer is trying to avoid paying for health care. Even though they claim that health care, and it has uh, uh, provided care for 8 to 10 million people who did not have it before, there are 6 to 8 million people who lost their health care, and almost everyone has seen it increase significantly, the cost. 
We no longer believe that our employers will be there for us 10 years from now. We have no faith in our retirement. Social Security doesn't pay for anything. And so if you are a family of four at about fifty-two, fifty-four $54,000 a year, you have no savings, you have no safety net, and you have no future. And if you're in your 50s or 60s, you have no opportunity to fix it. So I'm living through the fact that some of the things that I believed as recently as a few years ago have proven not to be true. And both sides are failing. And I'll make one last point. I apologize for... No, it's fascinating. Which is that... And depressing. It's, I, but this is, this is my life every day, which is I don't want to live in a country that is in decline. I went to Oxford. I got my DPhil from Oxford University. And I talked to these kids whose parents were in charge of the world. Not grandparents, but parents. I don't want to be them. I will give up, and I've done well. I will give it up for a country that is happy and healthy and progressing. A country where most people do get to experience their dreams if they work hard and play by the rules. But that's not America right now. And so I... I jokingly say I'm moving to New Zealand, the Southern Island, because the weather's good, people are great, but it's becoming less and less of a joke. I can understand that. And it's, it is difficult because I do think the three people at this table are detached from reality on many levels. Brian told me about a statistic that what percentage, Brian, of people cannot deal with an unexpected $400 expense? For, I think it's about 47, 48% of the American people, this was a study from the Federal Reserve, uh, would not be able to afford an unexpected $400 expense. I yeah. think people are really, really hurting. And, and yet there seems to be two Americas in many ways. So is this solvable? I mean, can a president really change all of this? And was, are there limits to a presidential power? It was solvable in 2008. Barack Obama had the capability, and I'll just illustrate this with what I saw on January 20th, 2009. I came to the inauguration. I was not a supporter of his. And I saw 15-year-old um, inner-city youths helping 70-year-old women with mink coats and diamonds that are worth more than this studio, helping them across this area because there were barriers and all sorts of security. And I saw people who've never talked to each other before, ever, have the most amazing conversations. And on that day, I actually thought, wow, this guy's going to be transformational. And it went to hell so fast. You surely can't put it all on his shoulders. I no. think, aren't there greater forces at work here, Frank, like globalization, this transition we're witnessing from an industrial to a technological society, the fact that you can't necessarily go into your father's business as a as a blue-collar worker because manufacturing has has declined. In some cases, yes, it's been moved overseas, but in some cases, it's been replaced by technology and robots. So, I mean, aren't there bigger things that are affecting this this sort of summer of our discontent? Yeah, but this country went through a global war that we possibly could have lost, and we came out of it stronger. We went through two global wars in the 20th century. We have had so, we have we have went from the horse and buggy to the car. I'm not saying there aren't el things that you can do, but I'm just saying, can you blame all these things no. on President Obama? I was going to cite Nancy Pelosi. Republicans could not meet with her. I did not know this at the time. She would not meet with a Republican. A Republican could not carry legislation. A Republican could not offer an amendment. A Republican could not lead a debate. They were completely and totally cut off. So when I actually got a chance to ask questions of them, and this wasn't, this, it took till 2012, I did not interview a single Republican who had a single meeting in her office, not one. Democrats were told, do not talk to them, do not engage with them, do not allow them to co-sponsor legislation. It's our turn now. And that, was that after they said things like we, our goal is to make sure Barack Obama has a one-term presidency, though? That was January 5th of 2007 before Barack Obama was even president. If you remember, the 2006 election is what brought Nancy Pelosi the speakership, not 2008. And so all that poison had been unleashed. And the one that the Democrats used to just really hate, Newt Gingrich, 
Newt Gingrich set aside every single day, every day of his speakership, he met with Democrats, which used to drive Republicans nuts. In fact, to actually go back and correct history, Newt was almost overthrown by Republicans, not by Democrats. And the Republicans who were trying to overthrow him were angry with him for spending too much time with the other party. Wasn't it the contract with America and that he the kind of the chickens came home to roost after he suggested what many people saw as draconian measures? You mean what Bill Clinton talked about at his uh, convention speech about welfare reform, that after years and years, they both, they actually agreed, they compromised, that they compromised on legislation that balanced the budget, that you had a Democratic president and a Republican Congress that actually brought the budget into legitimate balance, that you had a Democratic president and a Republican Congress that actually got welfare reform and put people back to work. It can work. And Gingrich is not the easiest guy to get along with. And Bill Clinton is not a walk in the park. And yet they got it done. And we don't have that right now. But both parties have a kind of a partisan disaster narrative of when things took a turn. So like, so why should I be happy that you're explaining why I feel the way that I do? So I'm here at the Democratic Convention. They're treating me great. Well, let's talk about being here at the Democratic National Convention what are your thoughts in, in terms of what you've seen so far? I don't understand why the Clinton campaign didn't turn to the Sanders people and say, stop the protests. You're making us look foolish. At the Republican convention, they booed Ted Cruz, and that lasted for 24 seconds, and that was it. That's one. Number two is, I refuse, I absolutely refuse to demonize any of these people because if you have a conversation with them, either Clinton or Sanders, there is a there is both a fear and a hope and a commitment to something better. I don't like it when the two conventions for four nights just abuse each other. You have every right to hold Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton accountable for what they have said and what they have done. But it gets so extreme. You know, when when people were talking about the Republican convention and particularly Donald Trump's acceptance speech, they used words like dark, depressing, dystopian. And yet it played much better in the real world. Is that because people are feeling dark and depressed? It's because people, they felt that he told the truth. And that's what they want more than anything else. They just want you to look them straight in the eye don't be politically correct. Don't be gentle. Tell us the truth. Now, you have basically 40% of the country that still is positive and hopeful. You have 40% that b- believe our best days are behind us. And there's the 20% that's in the middle. Trump was specifically appealing to those and basically saying, they're not going to tell you the way things are. I will. You may not like it, but I'm going to be direct with you. And yet, do you think the solutions that he's providing are specific enough and realistic? At some point, aren't people going to be saying, where's the beef? Yes. I yeah. mean, when? You, it, he has a responsibility in the debates to do that. But just in the debates? But the first step is to tell the truth. The first step is to articulate how people feel. But you're talking about Donald Trump telling the truth. I mean, the fact checkers kind of went nuts during his speech because he was describing crime out of control, immigrants as a, you know, marauding mob of, of, of violence around the country. He was describing unemployment as it as far worse than it actually is. Is he trying to create but a the, crisis but it's in order to get elected? It's America's version of the truth. This is how Americans feel. And so every time that the Obama administration says, hey, we've turned the corner, things are getting... See, the Obama people don't feel it. And the problem is people in a bubble. Uh, when's the last time that you had a meal at Denny's? It's been a long time. I admit it. I prefer Waffle House. Waffle, oh, have you? Do you really go there? Sometimes. I, I live in Las Vegas and I go to some of these cheap buffets and there's no reason for me to, but I, it's what I do. And I probably- Frank, stop going to those cheap buffets. Well, look at me. I Basically, <laughs> it's like I, I like being around Chris Christie because then I look like the after photo <laughs> rather than the before. And I you know, I know- <laughs> oh, she- Jackie Lentz here. <laughs> if you I know. keep going to the buffets, <laughs> I'm not sure you're going to be able to make that claim. I'm, I'm going to explode, but I see the people who are there. And when I'm up, when I'm getting food, is the best time because people's guards are down. 
and to ask them, why did you choose here? Why are you at this hotel? And the answer is, we can't afford a vacation. This is the only place that we can afford, and we drove here. We drove here from Phoenix. We drove here from Los Angeles. We drove here from San Diego. They can't even afford... We always assume, right, that when you work hard, you get one week or two weeks off, and you take your family somewhere. This is all that they can do because they can get a hotel room for $49 a night, that the whole family can have a big meal for under 60 bucks, and that's and when gas prices were at $4 a gallon, they couldn't even do that. Let's talk about why they're attracted to Donald Trump. Because I know in many ways he's a vessel or a proxy for the anger and frustration and resentment that many people are feeling. I get that. But then don't you need to take a step further? What will he do? How is he going to change things? And it's you know, these broad, broad strokes. Here's but. The, but that's the problem. Frank just wrote a card. And I just wrote the but. word but. Yeah. So everyone listen. With one T. <laughs> to be clear. Oh, I used the word ass on Hannity yesterday, which would have got me into trouble, except one of the Benghazi guys used the F word after me. So then everyone forgot the, that I Frank, used the, the word. Frank, the ass is the mascot of the Democratic Party. Yes, and I, and I fill up the chairs with mine. So, Oh, my God. We're so back to this. So what is the butt? It's always the butt. And these people listen. The, the Trump voter listens for the butt. To my surprise, when Donald Trump was asked the question about Rosie O'Donnell in that first debate, and I thought he was done. I admit it. I thought he it was over between John McCain and and Mexican rapists and Muslim ban. Muslim, all of that. I thought he was done. Political correctness matters so much to these people. And the fact that he's willing to say things unedited, uncensored, just put it out there, it agitates people what he says. But they're so grateful that he says it. And now look at the reverse. Hillary Clinton hasn't delivered a dramatic line, hasn't stepped outside her comfort zone ever. Donald Trump runs to the TV cameras. She runs away from them. Donald Trump never delivers a prepared speech except for, what, three times now in the whole campaign? She can't do anything but a prepared speech. He is way too loud. She's way too careful. He's way too out there. She's way too controlled. And for the average American... They want to look you in the eye, which is why I insist people take their sunglasses off. They want to look you in the eye and decide, do you really mean it? With Donald Trump, they believe that for all his faults, he's a real guy. They believe that for Hillary Clinton, that for all her experience, she's not. And that is what could prevent her from being president. We want authenticity. What about experience and competence? Experience is less important than judgment. Tell me what you're going to do, not what you've done already. She's done the sort of traditional thing that you do in campaigns. And maybe that doesn't work anymore where she has a big policy team and they put out numbers and they send it to analysts and the newspaper reporters, you know, pick it apart. Trump has put out tweets and statements, some of which contradict each other, and they're tied. And, and what does that tell you? It tells people you the don't voters... want to hear about programs. People want to hear about platitudes. No, they want to hear. They want to know who you are. If she had come clean on the Clinton Global Initiative, if she did an interview, and I'm going to be specific, with Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes, and Leslie was the way she usually is, which is tough but fair, and she were to say, "I am far from perfect." And I have made significant mistakes in my career. But I ask that you examine the balance. I ask that you look at the things that I got wrong and compare it to the things that I got right. And it is essential that I level with the American people because I'm asking them for their support. If she did that, she is the next president. If Donald Trump announces on day one that he will conduct a forensic audit of the U.S. budget and brought in Deloitte, E&Y, uh, KPMG, brought in, the, brought in the big, and within 100 days, we will go through every line and we will cut every single program that doesn't work. And if you are responsible for that program, you will be looking for work. He's the next president. 
She needs to level. She needs to be candid, humble. He needs to be specific with one program that bothers the American people more than anything else. Government waste. Government waste, Washington waste, even more than government waste. Because people, they don't have issues as much with their local community or even their state government. What they hate is when Washington does it. But he hasn't done it. And she hasn't done it. And I don't know if either of them will do it. And so I go across the country. I eat in my Denny's. I go to my buffets. And I get depressed. And every once in a while, I get to come to a Philadelphia and then get hot and depressed. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Let's get back to the interview. Why do you think Hillary Clinton isn't doing more of what you said? Why didn't she apologize immediately after the email scandal? And I'm not and even, say, you know what? I screwed up. This was so this was a, a stupid but honest mistake. And I'm not even asking, I'm not even suggesting she needs to use that word. Because I know that there'll be people who would hear this podcast and say, she has nothing to apologize for. But she did make a mistake. She said she made a mistake. Mistakes. If I were her campaign manager, I would tell her to lower the podium as she walks out onto the stage, have the podium go down slowly, and say to the audience and to the world, my name is Hillary Clinton. I have been a lawyer, a researcher, Secretary of State, I've been a United States Senator. I have prepared my entire life for what is arguably the toughest job on the face of the globe, and I don't need a teleprompter to tell you where I stand or what I will do. And then she delivers the speech that she has delivered without a podium, without that teleprompter that's right out the center. She can do it. I was going to say, she's actually incredibly gifted, almost as good a speaker without notes as Bill Clinton is. I think she's just been so, so careful during the course of this campaign. I mean, I have seen her walk around a stage without a teleprompter, without notes, and just dazzle an audience. The contrast between her and Trump, if she were to do this, would be so significant. And she can absolutely do it. So why not? Why do it the way it's always been done before when you know that the American people desperately want you to look them straight in the eye? I think the visual of that would be very powerful, but I'm more interested in what the content of the speech is going to say. And the average American isn't. No, 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 no. I don't think that's true. I think that if she conveys 
true honesty and and humility and talks about you know i think some of the her flaws perceived or real i think it could be very moving as well and i think okay, what frank's saying di- i think what frank's saying that's really interesting is the issues the substance the specific 10 point plans they don't matter very much to voters well that's what david brooks wrote about the other day he talked about you know with democrats the answer to every problem is a program but what Donald Trump is being so effective at is really, really kind of measuring the mood of the country and calibrating his statements to to reflect that mood. And that the Democrats need to somehow do that too. And it's just not in their DNA. Their DNA is to be much more specific on policy points when they need to be more touchy-feely, right? Well, there would be a whole lot of Republicans would argue with that, that their DNA is a government solution when they need to think more about how solutions are de- delivered on the local level. Uh, public-private partnerships with a focus on the private rather than the public. That the problem with the Democrats is that they continue to focus on Washington, which has never been more unpopular than it is right now. If that becomes the context... She represents the Washington solution, which she has for a quarter century. Trump represents the American solution. Trump will beat her if that's what the context is. What worries you most about a Clinton presidency or a Trump presidency? What worries me most about a Trump presidency is that I I want to see more knowledge. I want to see a better understanding of the consequences of every decision. The smartest political person I ever worked for was Newt Gingrich, and he could tell you that if we do A, then B and C are going to happen, and if they happen, then that's going to impact D, E, and F, and Newt could go all the way through the alphabet. So he saw the impact, for example, if you're going to do environmental legislation and say, we will not build homes here, you cannot build 20-story tall apartments, now what's the consequence of that? It means that you're then going to have to build 60 miles away, more cars are going to be on the road, so it's going to put more CO2 into the air. So then you say, okay, we're going to add a catalytic converter so you have to address the pollution. So what does that do? Car prices go up. People can't afford it. They're going to have to buy older cars, used cars. He knew the consequences of it. That's not what Trump does. And I really want someone now who, if they say we have to do X, that they will know the consequences to Y and Z. But That's has, what concerns me. He has said things like, we're going to round up and deport 11 million illegal immigrants. Nobody believes that. I don't. I don't if, he, if Donald Trump gets elected, I'll be prepared to bet you right now that that never happens. And why is he saying it? And why doesn't it matter that he doesn't mean it? You need Donald Trump to answer those questions for you. When we, we did a session with Republicans on immigration, and by the way, Republicans want a pathway to legal status. Republicans do. Marco Re- Rubio, Jeb Bush. But but average Republicans, grassroots Republicans, Republicans believe that if you were brought here through no fault of your own, if you're brought here as a child, you should be allowed to stay here as an adult. If you go to college and you have a job, Republicans believe that building a wall is not the answer to illegal immigration, although they do want bo- genuine border security. But those weren't the Republicans who... We're nominated. It, it's Donald Trump that was nominated, who, who was for mass deportation and a, and a wall. So how can you say, on the one hand, they want these sort of center-right, moderate positions, and on the other, they nominate the person with the most extreme position? Because they keep electing members to Congress that really do want to get this resolved. They really do want solutions rather than platitudes and rather than this anger. And they believe, even as they voted for Trump, once again, I come back to, they wanted to vote for somebody who said it like it is. They wanted to vote for someone who wasn't mealy-mouthed or someone who they thought that uh, would buckle. And Trump is a tough, tough guy. So that's why they voted for him, even if they disagree with him on policies like immigration. But there's a broader point you're making that I think is really interesting. You said Trump is being rewarded for telling the truth, for saying it like it is. And yet so much of what he says is verifiably not the truth. It's the truth as he sees it, how do you square those two they things? They rewarded Hillary Clinton for having the experience, even though they absolutely agreed with Bernie Sanders. 
Bernie Sanders is the heart and soul of the Democratic Party today. Bernie Sanders' agenda and platform is what a majority of Democrats believe. I don't believe that platform is electable at this point. But Bernie Sanders is the most popular and credible national politician alive today. Even higher than John McCain now. Much higher than Barack Obama. Way higher than Hillary Clinton or any of the Republicans. Jeb Bush, Mitt Romney. Bernie Sanders, an avowed socialist, is the most popular politician. And the reason why is because he said what he meant and meant what he said. And even though the public disagrees with all that free stuff he wants to give, they loved him for saying it because they thought he really believed it. It's the same thing with Trump. And the only reason why you don't see it is because you're not with them. You're not with these people. How many Trump rallies did you go to where you sat from beginning to end? I went to two from beginning to end. That's not bad. How many did you go to? Zero. Zero. You got to go to one because the music's great. If you like, if you like uh, classic, no, classic rock. He, I got to admit something because, and and now I get animated. No, don't rap. (laughs) No, we have to. I'm getting a note from our producer that we're running out of time. Keep going. Keep going. I, I have seen everything and I'm jaded and cynical. So I'm watching, waiting for the rally, and people start to come and say, here, it's, it's about to begin. The most powerful guitar riff of any song, to me, is the opening of Revolution. When John Lennon plays that screeching guitar, the moment that that song hit, and I can't, I can't sing, the moment the first chord, Trump steps up on stage, and everyone goes nuts. And you hear, and you think, Revolution, Donald Trump, politics and I felt it for the first time in this entire campaign I felt it as did people in the room and that's what's going on right now when Bernie Sanders takes the stage the 74 the guy's so old it takes him an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes he's so old his favorite painting is the last supper he's the second waiter from the left Bernie Sanders is so old can we try can we try the veal the only time he doesn't have to pee is when he's peeing that's how old this guy is and, 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 but what did he do? He had 21-year-olds eating out of the palm of his hand. These rallies, they were all positive. People were so friendly. Even people who knew what I do and knew that I work for Fox, they'd come over and they would ask me, is he going to do okay? Is he going to be okay? And I told them, I don't think he's going to win, but your ideas are going to win. Watch what happens. It's not just about the man. It's also about the principles. And his principles are changing the Democratic Party, which means they're going to change the country. And that and, and young people were so tuned in on that. Do you think they're going to come out and support Hillary Clinton? Uh, in the end, so right now, it's 70% of Sanders people support Clinton. 15% are undecided. 15% supporting Donald Trump. She has to take that 70% and bring it up to 90. She has to. If she does that, she's probably the next president. If it is below 85, she may well lose because states that matter, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, these are states where it's very close and if you're losing your own base, then you're gonna have a challenge. I believe she wins at this point, but I'm but I'm also convinced that Trump could win if he runs a solid campaign and does well in the debates. President Obama said as much this week in an interview. I have to ask you what you're most afraid of when it comes to a Clinton presidency. Um, I'm most afraid that this partisanship and this rancor gets even worse. She's known for reaching across the aisle. I feel like I'm being a Hillary apologist, but I'm not. I'm just saying the fact of the matter is when she was senator, that's again, in addition to being a good listener, one of the things they tout about her governance, that she does work with Republicans. She understands the schmooze factor, the having a drink in the Oval Office with with those who may think differently than she does. Now, Bill Clinton talked about Tom DeLay at the Democratic Convention. And I'm sitting next to Antonio Villaraigosa. And I said, my God, you would never have heard Tom DeLay's name mentioned at a Republican convention. That's right, because he was an adoptive father, right? He adopted a child. But he's being celebrated at the Democratic convention. And then who's the next name he mentions? Newt Gingrich. Never once mentioned at the Republican convention. So here is Bill Clinton celebrating these conservative Republicans at the Democratic convention. I'm thinking, man... My quaaludes are kicking back up again. And, <laughs> that explains so much, Frank. And it, it's like, don't do the edibles from Colorado, guys. By the way, I've got one piece of advice as a way to close this. 
don't buy the marijuana licenses in Colorado. Buy the pizza parlor licenses right next door. Wow. That's how you'll make money. Or the 7-Elevens. That's, that's good also. Can I ask one last political question? Yes, sir. So there's a theory right now among a lot of political professionals that you win by pumping up your base, that it's a retro idea to reach to swing voters in the center. And that's a big divide in our politics between those who believe in just going for the base and those who want to appeal to swing voters. Where do you come out on that? I come out on trying to basically blur the lines between base and center. And so I'm trying to reach 60% of the country or 70% of the country, not 51 and obviously not 100. I know that people are going to disagree with me. I accept that. I don't want them to be enemies of mine. I want them to be opponents. And that's where we've gotten it wrong. We now think that the people who we don't appeal to are our enemy. We have to lower the decibel level so they see us as people that we disagree with, but not as people that should be punished or destroyed. The rap on you, I guess, in some circles is that you have inflamed some of this divisiveness with words that work. and Words that work. So how does that inflame? Well, you know, because they sometimes misrepresent parental the situation. Parental choice rather than school choice. I'm the one who argued for parental choice or moving from uh, uh, vouchers to scholarships. And you know why? Because you can afford to send your kids to any school they want to go to. But the kids that I really want to help, the ones that actually need that opportunity, they can't. And I want to make sure that parental involvement, parental control happens. Uh, another example is, is in terms of taxation. I don't believe you should be taxed. I don't believe that you're, you, the, the, the product of your success should be taken away from you because you die. So it was moved from an estate tax to a death tax. This is what you've said, Frank, on emotion versus rationality and facts. And I'm curious because I think it's very relevant to this election. It's all emotion, but there's nothing wrong with emotion. When we are in love, we are not rational. We are emotional. My job is to look for the words that trigger the emotion. We know that words and emotion together are the most powerful force known to mankind. So... You make no apologies for coming up with these trigger words, if you will, that make people feel a certain way. Yeah. By the way, Bill Clinton does it. Bill Clinton's the best at it. I'm watching him yesterday. This I learned my craft not from Newt Gingrich. Katie, I learned my craft from Bill Clinton because he, better than anyone I've ever seen, including Ronald Reagan, when he draped his hands over that podium... And his voice would get like, why would his voice get like this? You know why? Because he wants to be emotional. His normal voice is this, but no, he gets like this because he cares so much. And all I'd say is, if it's good enough for Bill Clinton and it's good enough for Ronald Reagan, it's good enough for America. But on the other hand... You, but, there's the word again. But on the other I'm holding hand, up the card. But. That's good. But on the other hand, you know, Clinton lied about his affair with Monica Lewinsky. You won... The PolitiFact Lie of the Year Award for describing Obamacare as a government takeover. So and, I think the critique of you— And by the way, what happened after a year after when it actually went in it, is that a number—if you did your Google search, you'd see that a number of newspapers wrote that, in fact, I was correct. I didn't see when that in six, my Google search. When six million people lost their coverage, yeah. that is a government takeover of health care. When they actually acknowledge, well, no, maybe you can't necessarily keep your doctor in reality. But that's not what you said. That was all. You said it was a government takeover. It's not a government takeover. It was a plan that was developed at the Conservative Heritage Foundation. uh, Look, once again, you are speaking in ways that the American people do not feel. They cannot afford your coat. They cannot afford your shirt. <laughs> oh, he's, at he's right moved now. to the ad hominem. You, does that give you license to to manipulate? It doesn't manipulate. It is the truth. To incite people to think things when they're not necessarily so. Oh, you think you think Obamacare is a tremendous success? No, that's not. That's, that's not what we said. That's not the point. Do you think Obamacare is a tremendous? That's not the question. The question is, is, for is some it a people, government I think takeover? For those eight to ten million people who are now insured. They would call it a success. I think for the other people who lost their insurance or their premiums went up, it is not. Yes. And I have many friends who have complained about that. It is not a success. So net net, I guess it's pretty neutral. Well, uh, 
It depends who you ask, We right? still have a majority of Americans who say that it isn't successful, which doesn't happen. Social Security was regarded as a success once it got started. Medicare, regarded as a success. But a majority don't want it to be repealed. So? So it's, it's a... It's a People are conflicted about it, and it's not a government takeover. That's the question. The government is now determining our health care. No, they're not. The government determined what plans would be offered. <laughs> you know what? We should wrap. She's about to have a stroke she, back Of course there. she has, because she's listening to you and going, wow, that is just not really true. <laughs> hang in there, though. I'll hang in there. I'll, uh, I'll get some more lectures. And about by the way- I don't know. I'm the ref. Right? You're, I'm, you're, just, I'm just enjoying watching the two of you spar. The two of us, we're not going to be around when Social Security goes belly up, but you're oh, the Oh, I'm going to be around. Yes, you will be there. You'll have a chance to experience it. It'll be very exciting. You know, we, we'd love to have you back because actually we did want to spend a lot of time talking about like how you got into this crazy business. No, I don't want to talk Being about Being the me. son of two dentists, I want to check out your teeth. Oh, no, they're yellow, <laughs> but not a single cavity. I've never had a single cavity, but I used to throw up in my father's chair. I felt so bad for him. Really? Yes. I, uh, I, I don't understand what it is about Jews that we like to put our hands in people's mouths. Just, <laughs> Speak for yourself, there's, Frank. There's something in our religion that just Jews become dentists. I don't know what it is. So you used to vomit? Oh, yeah. I, and, Why? Your gagging reflex? Yes. And so what we finally figured out is when I had to go to the dentist, I was not allowed to eat for a day. Now- I, I agree I'm fat today. I, I'm in shape if round is a shape. But when I was a kid, I was a rail. So my mother was very conflicted, a Jewish mom. What do we do? Do we prevent Frankie from eating so he won't get sick in Lester's chair? Or do we let him eat because he's so thin that he looks like he could just blow away and then he gets sick and all the patients have to deal with it? So it, going to the dentist was very traumatic when I was a child. That's going to be a good tease for the next episode. This explains a lot, (laughs) Lot. doesn't it, Brian? (laughs) So the next episode is going to be Frank Luntz, colon, a life. No, Frankie Luntz. Frankie, oh, Frankie Luntz. The early years. (laughs) My father used to do that in public in front of Al Haig. I met Henry Kissinger with my dad, and he would always call me Frankie, and they would look at me. And then I realized as I got older that actually the I-E at the end of the name helps you because you can't really hate someone named Frankie but you can hate someone named Frank. I love hearing from Frank about what people are saying, but I am hungry for solutions. And I don't feel like anyone is talking enough about how we improve the state of the country. And I hope he'll come back when the candidates themselves start articulating their visions to make the country better. Well, one of the things that Frank said that really struck me is the voters don't care that much about policy and solutions. I think he really believes that. They care about affect and personality and who seems to be telling it like it is, as opposed to who has the 10-point plan to fix infrastructure. And maybe that's not that interesting, but just basing your vote on somebody who, you know, is authentic and is channeling your anger That scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah, it was always funny to me when I would see people in focus groups on TV say, oh, well, I don't really care what they stand for. I just want to know that, you know, the person's authentic and he means what he says. Well, policy really matters. And campaign promises are the best barometer of what presidents are going to do in office. So I think no matter what you believe, we should pay attention to what these people are saying in their ads and speeches and definitely in the upcoming debates. And not just their tweets. I'd love to hear what you think. So the big question of the show today is, do you think America is in decline or are you optimistic about the future? So give us a call at 929-224-4637. Leave us a voicemail. And as always, I will be standing by the phone. (laughs) Poor Brian, you need to get a hobby. Meanwhile, if you're hungry for more election coverage, you can check out my fellow podcaster, David Gregory. His recent honest and in-depth interview is with vice presidential nominee Tim Kaine. His show is called The David Gregory Show, and you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Greta Cohn and the right Reverend John Delore for producing the show. Thanks to Mark Phillips for our theme music. And please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps listeners find the show. So we'll talk to you next time. And thanks so much for listening. 
good headphones. Can we take these with us? Just like, <laughs> just like the parting gift. Yeah, it'll be five hundred dollars, Frank. <laughs> but they'll build. They'll, here's the great thing: they'll build you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey everyone, this is Scott Aukerman of Comedy Bang Bang. I want to tell you that now hear this is a brand new podcast festival that's happening this fall. Get ready for a weekend of live performances and opportunities to meet your favorite podcasters. Now Hear This will feature podcasting titans like me, Scott Aukerman, doing Comedy Bang Bang Live in addition to How Did This Get Made, WTF with Mark Marin, with special guest Lauren Lapkus, Brilliant Idiots, and more being announced all the time, including plenty more Earwolf and non-Earwolf favorites. Lock the gate! It's all happening in Anaheim, California, October 28th through the 30th. You'll get Halloween off. Don't worry. Buy your tickets now and get all the details at nowhearthisfest.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'm late. I'm late. Very important. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.